do you ever feel as if the whole world is against you? Like every force of nature is somehow trying to choke you out to destroy you. Those moments when you face the mounting stress of broken cars, broken water heaters, broken phones, and internet service all within a few moments of each other. Moments when it appears that if making a simple transaction in the marketplace for goods cannot be done with excellence because the person behind the counter refuses simply to do their job. I mean, after all, should I really be the one to train the employees at the fast food chain how to use Apple Pay? Why are these bosses not doing their jobs? Why are these employees not learning their jobs? Apart from the material things, we can be surrounded by family members dying of vicious disease, friend and family feuds that exhaust us. And if we look at the day's headlines, unrest in all political realms, both local and beyond. In our own free country here, we are ripe for a dictator to rise up and take power as the current parties rip into each other constantly. History and the present is full of times when it appears as if all hell has broken loose on the earth. The fall of mankind and its effects on us can overwhelm us. The question the question that we must answer is, what are we to do about it? And as we continue in our series, At the Feet of Kings, we find answers for waiting through times of hell being unleashed on earth. If you would, you would turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 22. This passage highlights a time when civic madness reigned and how a few of God's people remained faithful. Let's read the first few verses of 2 Chronicles 22 together. It says, And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, the youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men that came with Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. So King Ahaziah has taken the reign. And what we find in these verses is that we have another bad king. Now, just to give us some context, I took this from, from Pastor Wayne's notes just to kind of help us find, track the family line a little bit. And so let's look at this. So we have Asa, who was a godly king. king. We have Jehoshaphat, godly, a good king. And then Jehoram, who was a bad king, who rejects the Lord, and he dies of prolapsed bowels. If we quickly jump up to the northern kingdom... What's, happening, what's happened there? Omri had founded a new dynasty. He's the king. He's very wealthy and very idolatrous, and happily so. He has a son named Ahab, Omri's son, and he's, uh, Ahab is Omri's son, exceedingly wicked also. Ahab decides to marry Jezebel, 
And if you know anything about history, that name Jezebel rings true as a famously wicked woman. Ahab and Jezebel have a daughter. Their name, the daughter is Athaliah. Now, back to the southern kingdom for a moment. Jehoram marries Athaliah. Those two have a son, and the only living one at this moment in history is Ahaziah. Ahaziah becomes king, and as the text reads, he becomes a king that falls in the line of Ahab. What a family tree, right? I mean, it, is this one that you would like print out from Ancestry.com and put on your family living room wall? I think not. And can, can you just imagine with me for a moment maybe a conversation that could have happened at the dinner table with this family? Athalia, she's Ahaziah's mother. She says something like this, okay, Ahaziah, let me tell you how the family business works. Your granddaddy, King Ahab, set up these high places for us and for all the people to worship Baal. We're going to keep doing that. If anyone doesn't give you what you want, take it anyway. My daddy didn't, give the vineyard, didn't get the vineyard he wanted from Naboth, and so he took it anyway and killed Naboth's family. He was king after all, remember? So if you want to hold power, listen to me, and I will take care of you. No, that's nowhere in Scripture. I'm just making that up, right? But you can imagine the kinds of conversations in this family who is depicted as wicked, evil. This line that we have just seen from Ahab. So Ahaziah continued to listen to the voice of his wicked mother and others from the house of Ahab, and he walked in the same hellish path of his grandfather Ahab. Let's read that verse again. In verse 3, it says, He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. Another wicked king. Now, if you continue on in this chapter in 2 Chronicles, reading through verses 5 through 10, here's what you're going to kind of find. I'm going to summarize it for you. And it says that Ahaziah decides to foolishly engage in a war with Syria alongside his uncle Jehoram. His uncle gets wounded in the battle and retreats to Jezreel to recover. Ahaziah decides to keep staying close to these wicked people, and so he goes to check on his uncle and goes down to Jezreel to see him. While there, these two gentlemen decide that they're going to rise up and fight against the man who was appointed by the Lord to destroy the house of Ahab by the name of Jehu. Jehu executes both Jehoram and Ahaziah, and in another wicked twist of events, Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, destroys all the heirs of Ahaziah to take control herself. Verse 10, now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. Do we need a more graphic depiction of familial, political, and societal madness. Worshiping material things, coveting, stealing, and sitting at the feet of scoffers and the wicked people lead to a disastrous fate for Ahaziah and cause overwhelming civic madness. Hell seemingly 
unleashed. This summer, while we got to travel to Canada, we had the opportunity to visit Uncle Tom's Cabin historic site in Dresden, Ontario. This museum stands to help tell the story of the Underground Railroad, a number of abolitionists, and to honor a man named Josiah Henson. Henson was a slave in the States until he escaped to Canada to secure his freedom. I took this from the statement, uh, this statement from the Ontario Heritage Trust website. Uncle Tom's Cabin historic site takes its name from the Harriet Beecher Stowe's successful 1852 anti-slavery novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Featuring a character named Tom, loosely based on Josiah Henson, Henson's own story is told in, this, in his autobiography, first published in 1849. Stowe's account, her book, um, Uncle Tom's Cabin, was loosely based on this gentleman, Josiah Henson. And while at the museum, we got to walk through one of Josiah's houses. We got to sit in one of the church buildings where Reverend Henson preached and learn about a man who faced hell on earth, yet when faithfulness to, with, with faithfulness to his God, he brought hope in a time of chaos. And I must share that one of my favorite moments of this excursion was actually listening to young C.J. Aldrich recite scripture as he stepped behind the pulpit of Henson's church. Scripture that he had been learning in Sunday school. And he stood up and recited a lot, actually. I gotta tell you, there's not much more encouraging in the midst of chaos than when a young member of the church stands up reciting God's truth. CJ, you need to keep on preaching, buddy. Now, to give you a glimpse of one of the hellish moments in his life, let me summarize part of his story as he told in his autobiography entitled The Life of Josiah Henson, Formerly a Slave. As a side note, Mr. Henson was unable to read, so he narrated his story while someone else wrote it down for him. I highly recommend this book. It is short, yet is an inspiring tale. So Josiah, in the midst of his duties, he traveled between his master's place and that of his master's brother. During this time, he came to a moment in life when he was encouraged to work to acquire his freedom by buying himself from his master. And through the providential kindness of multiple in individuals from churches he was invited to preach in, over those months, Josiah was able to accumulate the amount of $350. He then began to work his plan to acquire his papers and settled on a deal with his master to pay a total of $450 for his freedom. $350 which was paid immediately, and the other $100 would be paid as soon as he was able to make the money. Josiah returned to Kentucky to where his family was, was enslaved, and he began to hear the report that the papers were indeed signed for his freedom, yet he owed more than the original he th amount he thought. After some conversations, Josiah found out that instead of the $100 debt he owed, another zero was added, and he now owed the balance of $650. After all that he had been through in life to date, Josiah felt the hope of his freedom slipping away by another deceitful act 
of his master. Josiah said this, indignation is a faint word to express my deep sense of such villainy. I was without a means of setting myself right. The only witness to the truth was my friend Frank, who was a thousand miles off, and I could neither write to him nor get anyone else to do it. Every man about me who could write was a slaveholder, and what chance had I to be believed or to get evidence to the truth? Soon after this matter, Josiah was informed he would travel to Louisiana in order to help his master with the sale of some goods. He knew that in this moment that his fate most likely would be that at the end of this trip, his master would sell him while they were in New Orleans. Josiah recounts the day he left. My wife and children accompanied me to the landing where I bade them an adieu, which might be for life. And then I stepped into the boat. With the oppression of civic madness now directly threatening his life, Josiah Henson stepped on a boat, torn with the thought that he could be losing everything, even his own life. Hell had broken loose. So we return to our question what should we do in these moments? How then should we live? Well, as we learned last week, faithfulness is success. Faithfulness is success. No matter what's going on around us, we should be faithful. One of the reasons we can define faithfulness as success is that it brings hope in chaos. Let's look at the next section in the passage, 2 Chronicles 22. Beginning in verse 10. It says, Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus, Jehoshabeth, the daughter of, the, of king Jehoram, and wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, we have someone in the wicked family line of Ahab who decides to break the cycle of evil and seeks to do good faithfully. Jehoshabeth, King Ahaziah's sister, is married to the priest Jehoiada, and together they execute a plan which saves a life and a kingdom. In the midst of the madness, Jehoshabeth grabs young Joash, the only remaining heir to the throne, before Athaliah can get to him to kill him, and she hid Joash for six years. What courage. What courage. Jehoshabeth was not afraid in the madness, yet acted swiftly to protect her nephew. Unfortunately, the definition of courage is changing in our culture, isn't it? So for the record, it is not courageous 
to stand up in front of anyone and flaunt sin. The Bible clearly describes this as foolishness. Psalm 14.1 is one example. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The fool is the one who does, denies God. The one who declares that their life is their own, that they may live as they please, and how dare you say otherwise. That is a fool talking. They may be talking loudly. And they may appear as courageous. But it is foolishness. And we must not forget that. Courage is facing a fear and living justly. Doing what is right, being faithful. You want to see courage, you look for someone running into a burning building to save another. You look for a teenager who stands in front of the hurt classmate and is willing to take any ridicule from all of the Goliaths around. That's courage. Jehoshabeth, she ran into the fire. She does not fear the madness and saves a little boy. And did you catch who she stands up to? Did you catch it? It's her mother. Her mother. Her wicked mother was the one destroying the heirs to the throne, and Jehoshabeth didn't let that phase her. One of the verses that has been on my heart lately for a number of reasons is Luke 14, 26, and it says this. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, there can be great confusion on what this means. But as you look at the whole of Scripture, Jesus', Jesus point when he, when he says this, in this Luke narrative, he is reiterating the fact that God has commanded his people to have no other gods before him. He alone is to be worshipped, not Baal, not ourselves, not our kids, not our families, not our jobs, God alone. And what we see throughout history, though, is, is a constant battle of this self-worship, this worship of things as opposed to the worship of God. And too many times we can look like King Ahab's family and set up idols for ourselves. And many times, unfortunately, it is those that are close to us, those that are dear to us, who can attempt to lead us, to stray, lead us astray. You remember Job's wife? Job's wife told him to curse God and die. That is terrible advice, by the way. His own wife told him to curse God and die. Jesus, the command he gave in, in Luke 14 to follow him only, it is exemplified here in Jehoshabeth in, in that she goes after his plan, not her own. Now kids, just to reiterate, you do still have to obey mom and dad. Read the rest of scripture. But, but if you have a mother like Jehoshaphat did, then you must honor the Lord first. You must run away from all unrighteousness, and you must run into the fire to save someone else. You must not fear the madness, but fight evil, being strong and courageous. 
And to do this, we must fight also with grace and with peace. See, the text does not indicate that Jehoshaphat made a big confrontation with her mother. It simply says that she, she took the boy away and hid him in the house of God for six years. It seems that too many times we as Christians, as we try to stand up and fight injustice, we can fight the wrong way. Now, I'm not here to tell you that war is never necessary. I have read Ecclesiastes, and I know that there is a season for everything. But what I do want us to understand and, and reflect on is the fact that I believe it's necessary and wise for me to understand my role in life and what God has put me on this earth to do. For instance, I'm neither a politician nor a military soldier. I am a citizen who should be responsible as I pay attention to the world around me, as I pay my taxes, as I submit to the authority that God has placed in me no matter what they look like or do, and I should pray for the leaders over me. Quite frankly, though, too many of our brothers and sisters, it seems, are trying to fight with a madness, with venom, not with grace and with peace. Should we discuss the situations? Yes. Should we seek to persuade leadership to make wise biblical decisions? Yes. We must be engaged in the life of our community around us and help people see the truth and be a light. We do this by living rightly. We do this by being faithful to our God and his place. Faithfulness is success. We trust his plan, which lead us, leads us to love others above ourselves. We can fight with grace and peace and trust the Lord in his sovereignty. Jehoshabeth did the work to save her nephew and did it by laying down her life. Living faithfully, which brings hope and chaos, means that you lay down your life. I spend quite a bit of time with men talking about marriage and family stuff. And many times, those discussions lead to that verse which says in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I don't know too many Christian men who are not familiar with this verse. But what I find is it's regularly difficult to actually apply it to life. You see, I, don't, I also don't know many guys who would not take a bullet for their wives. Even those who may not like their wives in the moment, most of them would jump in front of their wives to physically die for them. But the harder part, the more difficult aspect of this journey, is that day in and day out, we are called to love someone else more than ourselves. The difficulty comes when we must choose between giving up our own desires to meet the needs and desires of someone else. To love another above ourselves. To lay down our lives regularly. How well do you practice laying down your life daily? you do it well? Or like many, do you often focus your efforts on yourself more than others? Spending too much time on what you want rather than serving others. Jehoshaphat 
laid down her life for Joash. Yes, she actually risked being killed should mommy dearest ever find out. But she also laid down her life by sacrificing herself for that little one. She took in a little boy who would need to be fed and clothed and trained. If you have ever cared for little ones as a parent or any other capacity, you know how hard this is, right? The whining that could happen. The sickness that drains them and exhausts you. The constant need for attention and dollars. Jehoshabeth took on this little one and laid down her own to preserve a life and a kingdom. Did you hear me? A kingdom. You know how important this little boy was? Have you caught this to the story yet? I think this is one of the coolest parts of this account. Jeho- Joash was the only heir left in the Davidic line to Jesus. God had promised a Messiah through King David in his line, but at this moment in history, when all hell is breaking loose, when the heirs to the throne are being killed by Athaliah, Joash is the only one left, and humanly speaking, God's promise was about to become obsolete. Yet, by the providential movement of God, in Jehoshabeth's life, God's promise continued. Through faithfulness in the midst of civic madness, Jehoshabeth, along with her husband, exhibited what it means to bring peace into chaos. She did not fear but faced the conflict with grace and peace and sacrifice as she laid down her life to protect this little boy. She participated in righteous living among hellish circumstances surrounding her life and became a useful servant of Almighty God as he orchestrated the fulfillment of his promise. Isn't that awesome? And when the time was right, the priest Jehoiada worked to establish this young boy as king to replace wicked Athaliah. The hell which had broken loose was once again squelched in the moment. Do not fear the madness. Fight with grace and peace. Lay down your life like Jehoshabeth. Josiah Henson's hellish circumstances were coming to a pinnacle point as his master was nearing the time when he would put him up for sale. If I could, let me read an excerpt from his story. And it's actually a, a moment of temptation in Henson's life as he is being as he's preparing to be sold and taken away from his family forever. He says this, this is one dark rainy night within a few days of New Orleans my hour seemed to have come I was alone on deck Mr. Amos and the hands were all asleep below and I crept down noiselessly got a hold of an axe entered the cabin and looking by the aid of the dim light for Therefore, my victims, my eye fell upon Master Amos, who was nearest to me. My hand slid along the axe handle. I raised it to strike the fatal blow. When suddenly the thought came to me, what? Commit murder and you a Christian? I had not called it murder before. 
It was self-defense. It was preventing others from murdering me. It was justifiable. It was even praiseworthy. But now, all at once, the truth burst upon me that it was a crime. I was going to kill a young man who had done nothing to injure me but obey commands which he could not resist. I was about to lose the fruit of all my efforts at self-improvement, the character I had acquired, and the peace of mind which had never deserted me. All this came upon me instantly and with a distinctness which made me almost think I heard it whispered in my ear, and I believe I even turned my head to listen. I shrunk back, laid down the axe, crept up on deck again, and thanked God, as I have done every day since, that I had not committed murder." End quote. Just a few days later, Josiah was preparing to be sold to another master. And he spent a sleepless night awaiting the fate of the next day. As morning broke, it came that Master Amos turned ill. And instead of being sold, now Josiah's task was to nurse his master and attempt to get him back up home. With all hell breaking loose in his own life, Josiah stayed faithful to God above all else and was used to save the life of his master. I would love to report that his master awarded him for that, but not so. Eventually, though, Josiah was able to escape with his family to Canada, and there he established a home. And there he established an institute dedicated to helping other former slaves learn to read, learn to write, learn to work and produce so that they could become citizens who were able to care for their families and their community around them. The legacy of Josiah Henson continues to this day with families all over. Brothers and sisters, hell is breaking loose on earth all around us in many ways. And if you haven't paid attention to that, just go read the headlines today. You and I have the opportunity to bring peace in chaos. We can be like Jehoshabeth and Jehoiada who did not fear civic madness, who fought with grace and peace for others instead of their own rights and who laid down their lives to serve the Lord and his people. We can be like Josiah Henson who was more concerned about following his Lord than destroying the value of life. My hope today is that we learn this from this truth, and that we would make a resolution to fear not in the civic madness, that we would trust in God's plan and gracefully and faithfully walk according to God's plan when all hell breaks loose in our midst. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are humbled to hear the story of these brothers and sisters who faithfully walked with you. And because they faithfully did what you would have them do, they were successful in their lives. 
and practically that success meant that lives other than their own were saved. That, a, that your promise was, was held to be true once again. That slaves were freed through the Underground Railroad, through the work of Henson and many, many others because people decided to be faithful to you and love others above themselves, put themselves in harm's way to serve you. And Father, I pray right now for, for us that we would be like these people, that we would be like Jehoshabeth, that we would be willing to walk in the midst of the fire, that we would fight with grace and peace, and that we would lay down our lives to serve you wholly and you only. And God, in the midst of the chaos, would you use us to save lives and maybe even kingdoms? In Jesus' name, amen.